Thank you for listening to this message from Lifehouse Church. Well, church, thank you for your prayers, for everything that you, all the, the money you donated, the prayers you sent up for uh, us as we were there. As you saw and heard, the Holy Spirit moved in a powerful way on thousands of students from all across the, the country here. It was a wonderful time, and, uh, and, and even in our very own youth group, the, the Holy Spirit moved on these girls as well. Um, but yeah, so this morning, for those of you that may not know me, my name is Andrew Manival. I am the student pastor here at Lifehouse. Uh, my wife, Alicia, and my uh, little girl, Lucy, are here as well. We are uh, on staff here, and uh, it's an honor for us to work with Pastor Kip, and um, we get to have a, a, a great time working together and doing ministry together as well. But this morning, I really feel I have a message, uh, a message from God for, for you here. So um, before we get into this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for these wonderful testimonies of, of your spirit and moving in these uh, students' lives, God. I thank you for, for them and their willingness to share, God. And their, uh, I pray that, uh, that it would be uh, encouraging and uplifting to those in the house and online this morning, God. I pray that you would just um, uh, be in this service, Lord. I pray that you would bless the reading of your word this morning, God, and just uh, uh, let it not fall on deaf ears, but open and receptive hearts, God, we pray in your name. Amen. So, for decades now, I'll say decades because it's probably longer than that, but decades, uh, pop culture has been inundated with zombies. <laughs> Whether it's music, for those of you that remember 80s music, uh, the, the pop icon, <laughs> Michael Jackson's Thriller, the music video there, or a plethora of different zombie movies, just to name a few, World War Z. Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Zombieland, or even in my research, I found a zombie romance movie titled Warm Bodies. <laughs> Zombies are everywhere, right? The Walking Dead, a zombie-filled TV show. At its peak, it, de- it, it premiered over a decade ago, but at its peak, it had 14.5 million same-day viewers, It's estimated that the zombie industry, that is all forms of the arts pertaining to the undead, tops out at 5.74 billion. That's with a B, billion dollars of revenue every year. Culture is saturated with dead things coming back to life. But I'm not here to preach to you about the dangers of the undead. (laughs) But I feel that God truly has given me a word about moving from death to life. And God has stirred in my spirit, and I pray in many of yours as well, the spirit of revival and a renewed sense of his presence. We had talked about recently here at church revival. We mentioned the, uh, the Asbury revival in Kentucky, and you saw it on the screens and heard the testimonies of the girls. There is revival in the church today. And I got to see revival firsthand down at Winterfest, and that was incredible to be in God's presence with over 10,000 students worshiping God in prayer and worship and a time in his word. And we've also been discussing revival in our youth group, shameless plug, teenagers, uh, Thursday nights here, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. Don't want to miss that. (laughs) But revival, as defined by dictionary.com, is restoration to life, vigor, strength, etc., Revival is resurrection. Revival is moving from death to life. And that's exactly what we're going to look at here this morning. 
And we're going to look at a passage that I believe is an amazing example of this revival that I'm talking about, this death to life transformation. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to, have, uh, to ha- bring your paper Bible with you, not just your electronic device. The, the girls in youth group will know that that's a statement I make every Thursday. Hey, bring your, your actual Bible with you. Not that you can't get the Word of God on any electronic device nowadays, but because your paper Bible has no distractions on it. You end up on your phone, three seconds later you're over on YouTube and Facebook and TikTok and Twitter and all these other things that distractions aren't there when you're in a paper copy of the Word of God. So if you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, the words will be on the screen as well. We're going to be in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. But but before we get to there, uh, before we get to the text, I want to set the stage a little bit with a little bit of context. Who knows that a little bit of context goes a long way, right? A little context goes a long way. But in John chapter 11, we find Jesus and the 12, the disciples, They are most likely in a region called Perea. And if you're not familiar with the Middle East, Perea is a a region that is on the other side of the Jordan River from Jerusalem. And it's important to note that they're not in Jerusalem or or not close by. They're about a day's journey, a day and a half, two days, uh, 20 miles by foot, because obviously they're not driving anywhere. You can't get get an Uber back and forth there. Uh, But it's important to note that they're there because they got ran out of Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem in the temple, and, he, and Jesus gets teaching, and, and the, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are going to Jesus. They, say, they question him. They ask him, hey, they're accusing him of blasphemy, and they say, hey, are you the son of God? You can't say these things unless you actually are the son of God, and he tells them that, and they want to stone him. They pick up stones to stone Jesus and arrest the disciples, but they escape, and they escape to this region of Perea. And that's where we find Jesus and the apostles, and we're going to be in John 11 and verse 1. And it picks up and says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured out the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. See, John here, the author of this gospel that bears his name, is clarifying this. He's he's making this distinction of who he's talking about for multiple reasons, to give us some understanding, but also because we know of a bunch of other Marys and Marthas in the Bible, right? That was a very common name at the time. He was just explaining who he was talking about. So verse 3 says, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. So this passage John in John chapter 11 starts with a problem. Jesus' friend Lazarus was sick to the point of death. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, send word to Jesus. But it's interesting to note that they didn't ask Jesus for anything. But it's just their statement seems so almost matter-of-factly there was, their message wasn't, hey, Jesus, you better get down here because your friend is really sick. He's going to die. No, what they said was, Lord, your dear friend is sick. It seems really informative in nature, right? It doesn't seem very urgent. It just says, hey, he's very sick. But they knew that Jesus loved their brother. And they also knew that Jesus' ministry was filled with healings and miracles. They saw Jesus heal people before. 
So they sent this message to Jesus. But their message to Jesus was filled of faith and expectation. They saw Jesus heal people before. And even without asking, they were fully expecting Jesus to do the same thing for them and for Lazarus. They informed Jesus of the condition with faith and expectation that he will come and that he will intervene in the situation. Like Mary and Martha, if we want to see revival, if we want to see resurrection in our life, in our home, our schools, our church, we need to come to Jesus with expectations and faith. Because see, in this context, expectation is faith. They're synonymous here. Because revival happens when we come to Jesus with expectation. My daughter Lucy, she was sitting down here in the front row this morning with us. She was up here doing the church clap with us. She knows that Alicia and I have expectations for how she is supposed to behave in church. And she also knows that if she doesn't make a reasonable attempt to meet those expectations, that there will uh, be consequences in forms of loving discipline in the foyer of the church. (laughs) If you've ever seen us carrying her out during service, that's where we're headed. (laughs) But in all seriousness, though, if we lovingly show her and teach her those expectations, she meets them. See, Mary and Martha come to Jesus, they send word to Jesus with, uh, with the expectation that he's going to heal their brother. That is their expectation in faith. So I wonder, whenever we come to God in prayer, are we coming with expectations? Are we coming and actually, ho- and actually believing and expecting that the things that we pray for are, gonna, are going to be, are they coming to pass? Or are we just closing our eyes and hoping for the best? If we really want to see this revival, this resurrection, this death to life transformation in our schools, our homes, our workplaces, we need to seek God with this kind of earnest expectation. This is faith that says, even if it looks different than what I want, As long as it's you, Jesus, I'm content. See, Jesus being fully God and fully man, he sees the sisters' faith and he sees their expectation and he meets it. For those of you that know the story, we'll get there in a moment. But however, not like they thought, or not like how anyone else thought for that matter. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. This means that our expectations aren't his expectations. So we don't see Jesus jump up and say, oh, I better get over there right away. They need me. I'm going to go heal Lazarus. No, but what he says is, is almost seems like the opposite of that. Jump down to verse 4 with me. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved uh, Mary, uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He stayed where he was for the next two days. Jesus wasn't being cold and calloused here or unloving. We just got finished with our series called Lovey Dovey. Learn that God is love. Of course not. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not being unloving here. But Jesus, rather than just meeting their expectations, Jesus wanted to exceed their expectations. He knew Lazarus was on his way out the second he got that word from Mary and Martha. See, being fully God, he knew that. And, and uh, he could have 
just healed Lazarus right then and there. He healed it, and if you go back to John chapter 4, he healed the nobleman's son with just a word. He said, your son is well. He healed him with just, just the words of his mouth. And it might look like Jesus' decision to stay is contrary to what his intended outcome is. Jesus even says that his sickness will not end in death. But the passage continues on in verse 7. And Jesus finally said, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you seriously going there again? Are you going there again, they said? But Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. And during the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Jesus' reply to his disciples' objections is an interesting phrase. And being from the country, I grew up in a little town about an hour from here, being a little bit redneck, these words made a lot of sense to me. And I'm going to say this phrase, and if you've ever heard it, I want you to show me. I want you to show me. Put your hand up there. It says, you got to make hay when the sun is shining. You've heard that? All right, good. Put that in the chat if you're in line with us. you got to make hay when the sun is shining. You guys ever heard that? No? All right. I meant the the youths. (laughs) They didn't know. That's okay. But Jesus is saying, he's saying, despite the trouble that may come from it, I must go and I must bring revival. Plainly put, Jesus is saying, as long as I'm physically on this earth, as long as I'm here, I'm going to do the will of the Father and I'm going to bring revival and resurrection. Verse 11 Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better soon. And they thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So Jesus and the disciples begin their journey back to Bethany, back to Jerusalem. About a two-day journey, back to where Mary and Martha and the now-deceased Lazarus are. And keep in mind that some of the disciples don't think this is a good idea, right? They say, hey, let's not do this. They tried to stone us last time we were there. But Jesus reminds them of his purpose. He reminds them of his, his, his will and his desire and his sole purpose on earth, which was to do the Father's will. Regardless of how many miracles they had seen Jesus do, they still still didn't have the expectation of what Jesus was going to do. I shouldn't say that they all didn't have that expectation. One of them did, and uh, pointed out in verse 16, it says, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now that is some expectation, right? Thomas is saying, hey, regardless of how this ends, even if this ends in my own life ending, I want to see it. See, Jesus had a price on his head with the Jewish rulers. They wanted to arrest him and stone him. And it was at the point that if he went and did any miracles, any signs or wonders, they were on him. And that's why Thomas's statement is filled with such expectation. Because see, he knew that Jesus had the power to raise the dead. And he knew that's what was going to happen. He had that expectation. And he said that even if it means me dying, he was more than willing to go. 
more than willing to go in that faith and that expectation. Complete faith-filled expectation is following Jesus with this complete and reckless abandon. Regardless of what the outcome is, regardless of what others might say or do, revival happens when we go with faith-filled expectations. Let's pick back up in verse 17 here. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Everybody say four days. Four days. days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus and the disciples make it to Bethany. And at this point, Lazarus has been dead for four days. But even Martha has her doubts. She said, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. She has those preconceived notions. She still greets Jesus with faith and with expectations. We've all lost someone close to us, right? Whether that's a family member or a friend It can be easy to lose hope and to lose that expectation and to let our expectations fall, to be taken over by grief or by loss, that you don't even know which way is up. But not Martha. Even though she has her doubts, even though she's human and she's questioning Jesus and says, if you would have only been here sooner, she's still expecting, even if it doesn't make sense, even if all hope seems lost. She's still expecting that God is able to bring revival and resurrection to her brother. See, in verse 22, it says that she knows that God, through Jesus, will meet the expectation. That's faith in uncertainty. We see Martha's conversation with Jesus continue in verse 23. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. We often read this passage, John eleven twenty-five and 26, at funerals. And for good reason, Jesus' words are a tremendous comfort to us in a time of loss. But Jesus is explaining to Martha that eternal life, that revival, that resurrection is only found in him. And Jesus straight up asks her, he says, Martha, do you believe this? Or for maybe our sermon this morning, he says, Martha, do you expect this? Do you have the expectation that this is true? Jesus meets Martha's expectations. And she confirms her faith and her trust in Jesus that he is who he says he is. And that Jesus and then uh, and with that Jesus brings revival and he brings resurrection. Verse 28. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, "The teacher, that's Jesus, is here and wants to see you." So Mary immediately went to him. 
Mary didn't wait at the house. She didn't get angry for Jesus for waiting to come. No, she went with eagerness and with expectations. Verse 30 says, Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. Mary and the rest of the mourners rushed to meet Jesus. And I believe they left in such a hurry along with Mary, the rest of the mourners, I believe they went with her because they saw her expectation. When she heard that Jesus was there, she left immediately. And, and the, I believe the rest of the mourners saw that expectation. How many of us actually realize that if we lived our lives with that level of expectation, that people will take notice? That when you walk into a room, people will see that expectation in your life. If we live our lives with that level of expectation and that level of faith, how different would it look? The text doesn't say it explicitly, but I picture Mary running out of the house to go see Jesus. And that's expectation, and that's faith. Verse 32 continues. It says, When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So Jesus and Mary go to the tomb together. And when they get there, what we see in Scripture, I believe, is one of the most beautiful pictures of the divine and the human natures of Jesus together. And it said Jesus wept. Not because he was sad Lazarus was gone for good. Not because he wouldn't see his friend again. But Jesus wept, wept rather out of compassion for Mary and Martha and the other mourners. The scripture even says that Jesus was angered by this scene. And anyone that's dealt with loss and grief knows that anger, anger is a very common stage. It's a very common feeling that we get as humans. And we see that Jesus felt that too. But Jesus also was angered by death. Because see, death was never a part of God's original plan for people. That's why we grapple with it. That's why we struggle with losing people. Because that's not how God originally designed us. Death is a part of of our lives today because of the fall, because of our sinful, our sinful nature. See, but it was not in God's original plan. Rather, it was a result of our sin condition. But see, even in our fallen state, God still wants to bring us revival and still wants to bring us resurrection. And that's just what Jesus does here. He says, show me where the tomb is. In verse 38, Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded to her, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Verse 41. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. 
You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave cloth, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Zach and the worship team, if you guys would make your way forward. Mary and Martha, despite their doubts, despite their preconceived notions, act on expectation and act on faith. And they have the stone rolled away. And man, does Jesus deliver. After a prayer of thanks to the Father, Jesus shouts to Lazarus like you would shout to wake a friend up. He says, Lazarus, get up, (laughs) wake up, come on out. And Lazarus is risen from the dead. And revival brings quickening and restoration to his body physically and spiritually. So you might be sitting there this morning, you might be thinking, what does this have to do with me? Well, it all comes down to our expectations, right? If we want to see God move, we need to start expecting him to do so. If we want to see miracles happen, We need to expect them to do so. We need to have the faith that they're going to actually happen. And that doesn't mean that we can't have any any doubts like Mary and Martha did. Because we're human after all. But despite that, Mary and Martha had those doubts. But despite that, they still expected the miracle to take place. Even if it didn't look like what they thought. Even if it wasn't in their timeline, they came to Jesus with their expectations. If revival and resurrection, death to life transformation is what we truly want for our lives, for our homes, for our schools, our workplaces, we need to come to Jesus with our expectations and with faith. And that level of expectation will cause us to do things that don't make sense. It'll cause us to do things that some people will look at us and wonder, what are you doing? It might look for us like if a friend comes to us and says, hey, I'm going through this situation. And instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you. Maybe we pray with them right there. Or maybe it looks like stepping out and answering the call of God on your life. Maybe you're feeling that tug and that prodding of the Holy Spirit and you're ignoring it for so long. Maybe that expectation is answering that call of God. Or maybe even just serving on a team that stretches you out of your comfort zone. If you're like, maybe I'm not a people person. Or maybe even looks like following God and following his plan, even if you already made all these plans on your own. And you're like, this is the direction I want my life to go, but you feel God's call saying, hey, no, this is my plan for you. Moving from death to life is what revival is all about. If we want to see it, we need to expect it. Revival happens when we come to Jesus expecting Pastor Kip, if you'd make your way up here and close us out in prayer.
But church, it's all about expectation. Revival comes when we come to Jesus fully expecting with everything that we have. Church, if you need special prayer, if you want prayer for revival in your life, if you want prayer for a physical ailment you have or just anything at all, I would love to pray with you. We have the prayer team. I'll be right in the back. Pastor Kip, if you'd close us out here. Thank you for tuning in to this message from Lifehouse Church. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with us as we love God, love people every day, visit our website at www.lifehousecog.com.